Welcome to the Deeply Disgusting Movie Podcast. Every week, four, five, six, seven, so some number of us gets together and discusses a movie, and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available for the major streaming services so that you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I am joined by Alicia Walker. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hello. Josh Dean. Hi there. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And today we are discussing Safe from 1995, the Julianne Moore film that was suggested by Brooke, who uh, we're glad to have back after a long absence. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Zach, what have you been watching lately? Um, you know, there, the list goes on and on because it just seems like there's more and more time to watch uh, stuff these days. But I'll pick a couple of things that I really had fun with. Um, I'm going to start off with this uh, this movie on Netflix called Jingle Jangle. Anybody seen this yet? <laughs> no. Yeah. I honestly... <laughs> When my wife was like, we should watch this. It's it's like a Christmas thing. And I, I like Christmas stuff. And um, and I was like, okay, you know, uh, it was really good. It's a musical. Um, it's it's a mostly African-American cast. Um, it's not necessarily about Christmas, but it takes place during Christmas. Or that's kind of the thing. But uh, the music was pretty good. It felt like a greatest showman meets Hamilton meets Newsies. Like, if you like any of those things, you'll love this. Um, That's a it pass for me, my friend. Really fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Forrest Whitaker can sing, guys. Did you know this? I, I did not. I did. Yeah. Oh, I was very impressed. I was like, this This was right up my alley. I know we can uh, hold a straight face next to John Travolta, no matter what John Travolta is doing. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Um, so I know this, you know, whenever this comes out, it'll probably be way past whatever Christmassy feels we have, but, uh, Jingle Jangle, if you can get on it, get on it. Um, it has been censored off of Netflix by now. Yeah. Other than that, I, uh, just been watching a lot of like Star Wars stuff. Um, but, uh, I, f- I got through like Queen's Gambit and The Crown. I've been focusing a lot on Netflix lately. It seems like, um, I thought they were both pretty good shows, honestly, like, all in all, Queen's Gambit was really good, and uh, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. Um, I thought the this season of The Crown was exceptionally good. There was just some episodes that I was just blown away by. Um, the favorite being one of those, there where they all talk about like who's the favorite uh, child of the Queen, and oh, such a good episode. Um, well, now you're confusing so yeah, me because isn't Olivia Coleman on that show? Yes, and, and that's what I think is so funny about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit of uh, a little bit of connection there, which I thought was pretty good. Um, and then, um, yeah, I was just see if there was any other uh, Fargo wrapped up, which I thought was a pretty good season overall. Seen everything but um, the last episode, so yeah. so so you know? I can't. So don't spoil the last episode. But I've liked what I've seen so far of season four. Right. I thought people were going to kind of dump on season four, and I really enjoyed it. I love the Kansas City stuff and. You know, I just thought it was pretty well done overall, and Chris Rock really grew on me. So, yeah, I thought it was a solid season. Um, but uh, there's some other stuff, uh, maybe for another time if I don't watch too much this week, but that's about it for me for now. Okay. Josh, how about you? Well, I continued my uh, journey down the DC uh, Comics movie rabbit hole um, with Suicide Squad, uh, yes. which yeah <laughs> I, it's, it's I, uh, <laughs> 0.1 better on metacritic than batman v superman so v superman what yeah i, I, uh, I love those <laughs> i love both of those but i'm but you're wrong the few. that's that's the problem that's yeah. fine i can be wrong and i'll still love them <laughs> suicide squad literally makes me cry every time i watch it not kidding I, I cried for too, reasons. but probably not for the reason you did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, what a waste of time actually, and money. And <laughs> yeah, that it's one of my favorite comic books of all time, the original Suicide Squad. So yeah. um, I, my hopes were kind of dashed. Uh, I actually I don't fall asleep in movies often, uh, but at one point I woke up and was like, "Wait, wait, wait! What happened? Wait, 
I don't care. So uh, I just went ahead and finished the movie <laughs> instead of rewinding it. Um, but then I watched Wonder Woman, which was a refreshing change of pace uh, from the other DC movies, I thought. Um, actual characterization. So are you just watching and, through uh, them in order at this point? Yeah, exactly. A friend of mine gave me Wonder Woman, so I thought, oh, I need to watch. Yeah, I need to watch them oh, through yes. in order. I remember us having this conversation and saying, you've made a horrible mistake. You should have just yeah, watched Wonder well, Woman. Wonder Woman. <laughs> well, but, you know, I appreciated the, like, one-off reference to Batman Superman. I was like, oh, I understand that. Uh, but you're right. It wasn't worth the journey. Um but uh, I guess coming up next, what Justice League? So that should be good, right, guys? There's Justice League, yes. and then an Aquaman, <laughs> and then Aquaman, you know, Shazam, which I've already seen. In yeah. There, so yeah. And then you'll be all set uh, for uh, Wonder Woman '84 on exactly. Christmas Day. Yeah, and uh, Birds of Prey. Oh right, Birds of Prey. Oh, God, I've still got so much to go. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna keep plugging. Fortunately, you've you've dealt with the worst of it. Okay, I'm over the hump. I, I think Batman v Superman is the nadir of that that whole series. It's more I've like you're out agree. of the ditch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'm I'm also a big Zack Snyder fan, so like I I eat up everything that he makes. Well, so. it, the other advantage that Josh has is that he's watching these at home, um, as opposed to on a giant screen, which. Batman v Superman was like nausea inducing. Like it was physically painful to watch that movie. Um, and, and you won't have that with a TV or you can at least press pause and like go outside and, and think about humanity for a little bit, all that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So um, Alicia, what have you been watching lately? Well, uh, quite a few movies lately and, and some series. We, we started the new season of Big Mouth and I've been watching that. And uh, I started watching on a recommendation, uh, I think it's called The Undoing, the Nicole Kidman, uh, Hugh Grant yeah. limited series on HBO. So uh, in fact, I was just watching that before we did this podcast. So I'm on episode five of that of the six. So it, and that's pretty engaging so far. I think it's pretty well done. Um, one of my favorite movies, though, that we watched this week that was really interesting is one that actually I was very interested in seeing at uh, True False Festival last year and just didn't get to fit it in the schedule. It's uh, a documentary called Collective. I don't know if anybody else has seen it. Mm -mm. It's um, a documentary about essentially government scandal in Bucharest um, that kind of comes to light um, in, in front of everybody because of a fire that happened at a nightclub. Well, not nightclub, but a club that um, had live performances. There was a fire that um, ended up killing a lot of people at the time. Mm -hmm. But the bigger problem was a lot of the people that were rushed to hospitals who had suffered from burns then later died at the hospitals. And that brought up this whole thing of why did all these people die at the hospitals? Because they all got these bacterial infections and so it became this huge scandal that tied in uh, disinfectant companies and government contracts and all kinds of stuff. And uh, for a, a country that was already suffering from quite a bit of uh, corruption uh, and protests for that, it, it, it really, uh, it's kind of this crusade of, it, the most interesting part about it, I thought, honestly, besides obviously just the the craziness of how deep this this rabbit hole went was the fact that the newspaper that was doing most of the research was a sports magazine, basically a sports newspaper that mostly reports on soccer. But um, because of maybe government, um, you know, stonewalling of the other newspapers or control of the press in some other ways, this the reporters for the sports newspaper essentially cracked open this huge scandal um, and then that's, you know, I don't want to give away kind of what happens in the end, although it is that sounds you know, fascinating. news, recent news, but yeah, it was really well done. And I had really kind of, um, you know, went, been wanting to see it ever since I had read about it at the film festival. And so I was just, you know, I was kind of bugging Nathan all the time. Have you heard anything? Do we know when that's coming out? Da, da, da. And then I'd seen that they were starting to release it streaming to rent, um, because it's in, you know, it would be the equivalent of in theaters right now. But um, it's well worth it. It was really well Where well did done. you find really, it? it? I ended up renting it off Amazon, I think, but you could rent it off a lot of different services for, I think it was like $6.99. Okay. Yeah. So it was great. 
That movie I talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, The Sound of Metal, is on Amazon right. now. Um, yeah, I saw that. And it's it's uh, an Amazon original, so there's no charge for it if you already have Prime. I thought this one might be on HBO. Uh, it was cre- it was produced by HBO Europe, but um, it it wasn't available there. It was on a bunch. I didn't of even know that was a thing for cost. Yeah, <laughs> HBO Europe. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Uh, you know, we've been kind of watching a lot of the same things. Um, I, I I guess my biggest accomplishment in the last couple of weeks is uh, I finished watching BoJack Horseman, um, which. I don't know if you guys have gotten through that series, but it's phenomenal. Yeah. I, I, you know, it starts off just kind of as a lark almost because it's, it's a little bit silly and the animation's not the most amazing thing in the world, but um, it just continually pounds what it's doing uh, to the point where it's just really refined and really well done. Um, I mean, the, the humor is there all the way to the end, uh, especially uh, princess, uh, Caroline. Caroline, Princess Caroline's, uh, you know, she constantly talks in like uh, onomatopoeia or whatever. And just there's a lot of little things that just kind of run through the whole series that make it worth watching for those. But its ability to tackle all kinds of different types of oppression and just depression, excuse me, not oppression, depression, a <laughs> uh, little bit different. Uh, it's just really great. It was, it, was, it was a little depressing to watch. Occasionally I'd have to like put on something happy afterwards, but. It, it was worth getting through. Yeah. So now I remember um, that you had gotten to like a certain point and needed a break from it before you could go back. And I, I've yeah. had other people tell me kind of the same thing where they're like, it's really, really good, but it gets pretty heavy. And sometimes I just, I, I can't get myself into the mood to watch it. So, yeah, I, I kind of found like the season breaks are kind of good for that. Like, go ahead and take a break at each season and give sure. yourself a little breathing, watch something else a little happier or whatever. I, I do think it kind of comes around and gives you some uplifting messages towards the end. Uh, but it's, it's just really a Frank show. I really loved it. Uh, the other thing we watched uh, a couple of movies. Uh, we did get through all the Roger Moore, uh, James Bonds. And I will say just as a real brief that uh, uh for your eyes only is that what for, your eyes only. for your eyes only for for your eyes only is definitely the best Roger Moore movie uh, without a doubt okay um, so that's that's one so I have to go back and finish all the Daltons and the the rest of them all again two. to kind of remember them but right now it's between for your eyes only and uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service okay those are my so y- it hasn't necessarily def- uh, unseated George Lazenby yet for you. Not, not necessarily, but it was pretty dang close. It was pretty dang close. Uh, and then the last thing I'll kind of touch on is uh, we noticed yesterday that the European Film Awards were given out yesterday. We didn't even really know what they were or much about them, but we went ahead and looked up the number one winner for – it was Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor for Mads Mikkelsen, and that one was called Another Round – it's not available through like the normal streaming services or even like Amazon. Wait, he Rental. directed and was a picture. No, no, no. The director won the war, the award for it, but Mads Mikkelsen won for acting. Okay. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, so it won three or four big awards in that, including best picture for the European awards. Um, it's not available to rent just yet, but I think you can get it through like movie theaters that are trying to do like online screens. Yeah. So that, that's what we did. We paid like 12 bucks for it. By the time this airs, it'll probably be on Netflix it's called what? or something. But, uh, it's called Another Round. Uh, just a brief synopsis. Um, it's about basically um, four teachers who are kind of at the end of their teaching career. And they're getting pretty bored and stale with what they're doing. And they decide to try the theory that if they maintain an alcohol blood point average of 0.05 throughout the entire teaching day mm-hmm. that they'll become better teachers. Oh yeah. And of course you can imagine what ensues from that. So um, it's pretty good. Mads Mickelson's pretty great, which he always is. So there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, IMDB lists it as uh, having an 18 December release in the U S so my guess is it'll okay. be on VOD 
then, which is which is which is now. If you're listening to this, um, <laughs> it's it's but, soon you know, as we're it speaking. It was kind of worth it for us to to, to pay for a local theater and maybe support them a little bit. I don't think they get a ton of money from that, but it was kind of nice to to see something through a local local group. Yeah. Yeah, we would have paid more than 12 bucks to go see it in the theater anyway, that's so true. it was totally worth it. And that's what we're kind of looking at. I mean, I was looking at last night some of the the 2020 releases to try to prepare to watch some of the award shows for next year. And a lot of them that's how you have to see them. Well, there's only like four theatrical releases for 2020, so it's going to be like <laughs> between be Tenant and Troll 2 and uh <laughs> Well, the I think what's man. funny is one that we've Wonder seen. Wonder Woman will be, right? Isn't that, that's going to be in theaters. Uh, it will technically be out in theaters, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not in the major theaters, but it will technically be out in theaters. Well, it's kind of funny because some of the lists we've been looking at, a lot of them have, have really highlighted a lot of docs, uh, which we saw quite a few of them at True False, but one of the docs that we saw when we walked away from True False didn't really like has been at the top of a lot of lists. It's like another round... Wait, which one are you talking about? The one about the bar. Oh, that's uh, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Uh, we didn't care for it, but maybe we Sounds just like needed- my childhood. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a bar that's closing on its last night and just all the regulars that come in to kind of celebrate its uh, demise. But it's kind of in a shade of gray because uh, even though it, what's being filmed is what is spontaneously happening, the people in the bar were hired to be in this documentary and it's not really a bar's last day. It's all, everything's staged and then they just kind of let them loose. So um, I've been watching some things um, for my own satisfaction and, and out of complete and utter weirdness. Um, I watched all 22 hours of Night Court. All of it. Nice, nice. Um, I guess um, Night Court was like just kind of barely released on DVD. Like it didn't do very well. They sort of trickled it out there and released it, parts of it on DVD. Um, the the show is very uh, like it has an early period that's not great, a middle period that's like the good stuff, and then a late period that's absolute trash that just sucks. And so, like in syndication, they just focus on those middle three seasons of the nine, um, and they don't bother going into the other ones. So it's kind of interesting to see like how the show evolved over time. Um, so, who's your favorite female bailiff? Um, it's definitely Roz. Okay. Yeah. With, well, she's on the longest. I mean, they finally got somebody younger. They give her a character. They kept like dying. Selma Diamond just has one-liners. That's all they have her do. And it's like painful how obvious that is in the first season with her. Like she literally just shows up, says one thing, and walks out of the scene. And that's like her whole appearance in that episode. It's all attitude, all attitude. They give. Was she just like the little old lady? Is that right? Well, there were two older ladies. One was a little more like Florence, the, you know, one who's is out this... on her cigarette break or something. And then yeah, and then Florence, who's like grandma. Florence is like yeah. Selma two, like Selma two because Selma died after season one, and then Florence died after season two. Yeah. So they're like, okay, let's stop bringing in old women to do basically the same thing right. over and over again. And they got Marsha Warfield to come in and play Roz from seasons three through nine. Um, there's also there's other weird like lineup changes that happen. Uh, Marky Post doesn't join the show um, uh, for good until uh, season three. She doesn't join for good until season three. She's like a guest. She makes a guest appearance at the beginning of season two as christine sullivan her character but she was like still under contract to like some other forgotten 80s show um at the time she's on like the fall guy or something and she couldn't get out of that contract so they had uh somebody else play the defense attorney uh for the second season because the lady that played it in the first season didn't come back for the second season and they just sort of all agreed that they didn't like she agreed and they agreed that she just wouldn't come back for the second season 
out of nowhere. But um, uh, one of the reasons I did want to watch all through it um, on DVD is that DVD will probably be the uh, best version of Night Court that there will ever be. Um, because supposedly the master tapes were burned in the wildfires, um, that came up over, um, like the MGM vault or whatever it was. Um, Zach probably knows what I'm talking about more than I do, but there was, there was some, there was some area, um, up in the hills behind the, behind like Paramount and all the studios, where they stored like all these master tapes and stuff and like everything that was there just burned to the ground. So do we know any particular very famous, valuable, you know, films that were back there? Uh, I don't off the top of my head, but there, yeah, there's a list somewhere of all the stuff that got lost. Is this the one from a few years ago that killed off all the great audio recordings too? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a massive archive that was destroyed. Like old like all Nirvana. Yep, and whole whole bunch of like really important musicians just lost all their. That's that's stuff. that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was hard. Yeah, it was like a big big place in uh, in in the L.A. area um, near to where Rick Rubin's studio is, and his studio very nearly burned to the ground as well. Like the fire just kind of like went around it by a couple hundred feet and he lucked out of it. Mm. But, uh, well, there was a movie that was selected. It's called safe. Um, that's like four sevenths of my favorite movie of all time, safe men, but I digress. Um, had anyone besides Brooke who suggested say safe, uh, seen safe before. Nobody. No. Okay. Uh, Nathan, let's start with you. What did you think of safe? Uh, I, you know, I thought it was a little bit on the long side, but otherwise I thought it was really good. Um, uh, this was Steven Soderbergh. No, Todd, Todd Haynes. Todd Haynes. That's right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> you can edit that out or just leave it in, I guess. Um, yeah, I, you know, this was his earliest movie, I think, or an early movie on his, uh, over, However you say that, please edit all this out. <laughs> <laughs> you want to just start over? What did you think yeah, of sure. Safe, Nathan? <laughs> <laughs> God. This is all, right. all staying I, in. Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, might as well just uh, keep fucking up then. Uh, no, I liked it. Uh, I, I thought it was just a little bit on the long side, but I but I did like it. Uh, I thought Julie Ma- Julianne Moore was excellent in it, and it you know, didn't surprise me at all because she's always been good in things, but it was an early role for her, at least from what I could tell. And I, I thought she was as good then as she's been in many other things. Um, I, I enjoyed the kind of ambiguousness of it because um, it, it wasn't real clear if when you were watching it, if they were talking about a fake disease through the whole thing or not. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, you could bring to the table your own point of view and your own beliefs about, you know, mystic cures and and new wave cures and that kind of thing and i believe and it's new age new age new age cu- cures new wave yeah. cure uh, that would be like I would not love robert a new smith wave cure, and like, uh where you have to listen to duran duran on repeat um yeah i i you know i thought the direction was really pretty interesting uh my favorite part that just stuck out to me uh is that first time she's like stuck behind that truck and how claustrophobic it, that the film made you feel with her trying to drive through the the parking garage to get to that point where she has kind of her little panic attack at, in the garage there. And I was like, okay, if this is kind of be the tone of the movie, I, I think this is going to be really good to watch. Um, so uh, I thought the, the people at the camp were a little bit batshit. I think that was kind of the intent, though. Um you know, but it, it, it left just enough ambiguity to it that you could choose to decide on which side you wanted to, like believe that she had this disease and they were actually curing it for her or that she's just actually falling in with mumbo jumbo, you know. So I liked it. Okay. Uh, Alicia, how about you? Uh, I liked it overall. I I felt like my biggest thing with it is I felt like I wanted it to go 
somewhere else at the end, just go further, do something else. I felt like um, for the amount of time there was, um, I kind of wanted to see maybe a, some years later or more in the camp or something like that at the end. So I was kind of surprised when it ended when it did, although I knew time-wise that made more sense. Uh, but I also really like that ambiguity and I kept questioning myself, is this really a thing or is this all in her head? Is this more of a psychological thing? And is this more reacting to her little perfect house and her, you know, flower bed and her couch that she has to have just the right color so it'll match all the rest of the teal and pink, you know, whatever. So, um, but I, but I liked, uh, I liked not knowing that. So I think that was a really great thing. And I agree that Julianne Moore was great. E even in these early movies, she's got it. I mean, it's very evident, I think, that she's got it and she knows what she's doing. So, uh, yeah, I just, for some reason, kind of felt like I was hanging and I thought, well, but it's making me think about it more. And sometimes that's a good thing. But I still feel like I wanted just a little bit else from it. I don't know if I wanted her to have more of a reaction at the end, more of a, you know, not just having an outburst of crying, but but something more confrontational or, you know, getting into something more with some of the other people at camp or her husband. I don't know. I felt like it just needed a little extra something at the end for me. Well, I'll, I'll ask everybody this question and I'll back up and ask Nathan the question as well. Um, do you think that she was really ill or do you think that she had some kind of psychosomatic uh, condition going on, which I guess is an illness within itself, right? I mean, whether it's a mental illness or, a, or an actual physical, uh, you know, illness, but did you think that she was um, a product of um, her neuroses or a product of actually being allergic to bug spray and new couches and I don't know I mean I would think it's mostly psychosomatic and then something would happen I'm trying to think of something specific now there was something that happened a little later in the movie that uh she starts well when she has when she goes in the dry cleaner I mean that could be psychosomatic but that was pretty severe psychosomatic reaction I feel like so um, you know, then I thought, oh, well, maybe there might be something to this that it can't all be in her head for what ended up happening. But yeah, I kind of vacillated back and forth on that. I think for me, um, you know, I, I knew it was a fictional story. It's a fictional character. So I don't know if it's a fictional movement, though, that environmental. I, we'll get well, into that. I, I, okay. Yeah. But I did look a little bit into that. It is, I think it's fictional, but um, the, the, it was trying to portray something that is really happening though, which is people who have these things that are going on in their lives and doctors don't have enough tools at their disposal to explain what's going on. And that does exist. I think, um, I think it's kind of interesting that it, it teases a little bit about how, um, mental illness wasn't treated as like a real serious thing back even just 20 years ago, how things have changed so much. Like today, if that had happened, the first thing out the gate would be like, well, you had a panic attack. That's what you had. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, was kind of, it does it, appear like the movie does appear to be uh, set in the present time of 1995 when the movie came out. So, right. Well, it, it said 1987. Oh, okay. Oh, did it? Yeah. yeah. So even so, more so. But, I mean, I think it's worth noting that like all the people that were at the facility that she wound up at all had their own kind of different version of symptoms. And so they were all kind of going to this one size fits all cure to try to deal with those different problems. Some of them may have been psychosomatic. Some, and it didn't try to answer that question specifically. Um, but I, I kind of felt like it was more likely it was a mental issue. But like, once again, it's a fictional character with fictional diagnoses. So it's kind of hard to like really pin it down. I think the real question was about what do you think about modern medicine and its ability to tackle things that it doesn't know how to tackle. And then are the new way, new age responses to that going to kind of give you a leg up or is there's just hocus pocus that in your head, you think you're getting ahead and you're not. Well, and in the end, does it end up mattering if you feel better, too? Yeah. I mean, so. Fair enough. Uh, Zach, how about you? Yeah, I didn't really care for the film overall. Um, 
I didn't hate it. It was no picnic at Hanging Rock, um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I blame Aaron. Um, yeah, no, I just like I definitely had that same uh, feeling that Alicia was talking about about like something going somewhere, something happening, and like I'm not against the idea uh, or the ideas in the film. Um, I and I think Julianne Moore really held it all together. I just didn't care for it. I was, I would, I would stop and check the time and I'd be like, that's how long I have left. Um, you know, that's just me. Um, there were, there were some moments I think I really liked when she drank all that milk at the beginning of the film. Um, there was just so much milk drinking going on that I was, I was, <laughs> she like, always maybe had a that's her problem. Milk. Yeah. Maybe she's just lactose intolerant. She just stopped drinking that milk. Well, um, and that brings me to a question I wanted to ask you. For having having lived in the in the mecca of of new age yeah. bullshit, uh, Los Angeles, <laughs> um, where everything's vegan and gluten free and and yeah. lactose intolerant, and you know people move there from all over the country, and suddenly you know oh all of my problems have been solved because I don't do dairy anymore. It's like yeah. n- no, um, no. That's not how it works right. at all. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, yes. Uh, there's a lot about LA that is just like batshit crazy to me. And I mean, I'm not against like people's beliefs and whatever they want to do with themselves and diets that they want to have. Like dieting was a big part of this too. Um, the diet fad stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and like LA is all about that. I mean, they <laughs> I love, have like, I love the doctor telling her after she's on the fruit diet, it's like you do need protein. Like yeah. y- you do just something, even <laughs> if it's plant protein. Um, but they have like, uh, you know, like hot, Bikram uh, yoga uh, goat um, uh, meditation. I don't know. Uh, you know, like yeah. LA is a really interesting place. I, I will speak to the pollution in terms of the fact of like the toxins that they were brought up in the film. Like it is very heavily toxic. Oh yeah. Uh, even where I, I lived um, just uh, north of the Inglewood oil fields. And it was disgusting. Uh, I mean, we were basically in the path of oil that was, you know, not necessarily raining down on us, right. but like our apartment was constantly covered in a, in a, a, th- a thin, too thick layer of black grime. Right. And it was awful. Yeah. Like, I mean, those like allergies are real things and, and pollution and allergies to pollution are real things. Um, yeah. and there's also things like, um, you know, there, there's an argument to be made that um, the more um, uh, sort of uh, sedentary our lifestyles become, you know, looking at, at Julianne Moore's character in particular, like the fact that like her, you know, she says that her main job is redesigning and decorating her house. It's <laughs> like, well, that means that she's she's living in an air controlled you know, environment. And so a new couch being brought in is a huge intrusion into her perfectly aligned space of, of things that her body's used to. And plus, um, as somebody who's gone through this myself, and I I think I'm starting to go through this again, to some degree, um, your allergies can get way, way worse all of a sudden. Um, or, or you can be someone that that doesn't identify as as really having much of a problem with allergies to being someone who's like nearly debilitated by them, which is something that happened to me in my mid twenties. Um, I I tried to rake the leaves at uh, this old house I rented, and I never had trouble with it before. And I spent a weekend doing it, and um, I had to take a sick day on Monday. And and nearly went ended up going to the hospital over it because I inhaled way too much tree debris, too many too much leaf uh, pollen, allergen, gunk, whatever uh, got in there. So yeah, and my my allergies. I really didn't have allergies until I moved to Los Angeles, and then 
now I have all kinds of issues because I don't want to say because of living there, but like it happened when I moved there, my wife and even my cats, same thing. Um, when we were living there, it was pretty bad. Uh, and so, yeah, I can, I can attest to that for sure. And so like, in terms of the question that you asked Dale, do I think it was uh, you know, psychosomatic or was it actually a thing? That's a, that's a tough question. I, Cause I can think that it could truly be a thing. Um, you know, maybe it was played into a little bit psychosomatically, but like, especially with the, the scene where she, you know, hits the ground when they're fumigating in the dry cleaners. Oh yeah. I mean, it was like, that wasn't in her head. Shit. I mean, the movie yeah. didn't present that um, as being in her head. Like she was no. bleeding and breaking out and yeah. Right. You know, and the sore that she had on her face uh, when even when she was at the camp. Yeah. Um, because she was too close to the highway. Um, you know, shit like that. Where it's like, okay, like a little bit of that, you know, but like how does the physicalness of it form from the psychosomatic? Like can you can you make your body form boils essentially? Because well, like, like what so, the guy was talking about. Like you can you can stress yourself into having hives. Yeah. You absolutely can. Um and there's um, there's some, uh, like eczema, um, I don't know how familiar you guys are with that, but I get eczema every once in a while on my hands and it's, it's a hundred percent, um, mind over matter. It's, it's not a, you know, I'm, I'm not like, it's not like poison ivy or something that I'm touching. It's my body is reacting to something that's going on in my cortisol level that is related to how worried I am about something. And so now I have, you know, two itchy fingers on one hand and little bumps. And that's just a thing that happens to me. So I get that too. Yeah. Josh, what did you think? I'll make sure we talk about all our skin conditions, <laughs> allergies. I have a cyst on my left testicle um, that oh. uh, oh, to get removed. <laughs> Oh boy, Josh! What do you think of safe? So, um, yeah, I found well for one thing, uh, the way it was shot, I loved um, that she kept getting like lost in her environment, like shot way from a distance. Um, I didn't even think we'd get to see her husband's face for you know the first twenty minutes of the movie. That's a good um, point. I thought about that too. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's but I had a hard time because of that distance. Like I, I didn't connect with her. I, I found a hard time like finding a hook into her character. Um, so I cheated and watched a thirty-minute Q and A with Todd Haynes after the movie. Oh, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. So and apparently that was intentional uh, yeah i was going to uh, talk about that in my section oh i'm I didn't sorry hear that from watching oh, a i'm so 30 sorry minute deal but okay yeah exactly yeah so that he was subverting narrative expectations that um you weren't supposed to be getting a lot of information from this woman so you could project on yeah it was it. supposed to be a th- uh, like, i mean i that's my reading and i guess you can correct me because you know the truth now yeah. But, um, Mm. yeah, my read of it was that it was supposed to be very third person um, as as a viewing experience to the point that there's never there's not a close up of Julianne Moore in the movie, except for Mm. at the very end when she, like, talks to herself in the mirror and can barely like whisper, you know, I love you, you're worthy of love, whatever it is that she's Mm. supposed to be saying that's as close as it gets. And she's still framed. Like I'm framed in the zoom call. Like you can still see her shoulders and you can still see over her head. Like it's, it's not an extreme close up. Right. Exactly. And, uh, I, I, you know, with these kind of movies, I try to pay attention to the beginnings of them to see if there's any kind of, you know, circularity or anything. And it seemed like she was having problems before, even like she sneezed in the garage, mm. I noticed like at the very beginning, um, but blamed it on it being too cold. And then obviously was not enjoying or into the sex there at the very beginning. <laughs> the either. first scene. Um, yeah, the first scene. So I was like, she was not. It happy, was uh, I it don't was think. not quite the Citizen Ruth level of ridiculous opening scene <laughs> right. sex. But uh, but that is what I thought of when I start when I was watching it. 
She was like, yeah, exactly. are you okay? Are you okay? And he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The performance though, I thought, uh, yeah, Julian Moore did a great job. And, um, I, I keep getting Todd Haynes and Todd Solins mixed up, which mm. is a bad, bad mix up. Um, if you know Todd Solins movies, yes. um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I never saw, um, the Karen Carpenter story or whatever, Todd Haynes, the, the breakthrough Barbie animation movie he made. Um, but, uh, I did see far from heaven and I can see kind of some of the same, uh, themes running through this too. And apparently he's got a Douglas Sirk, uh, fetish of some kind. Um, <laughs> Oh, and he mentioned your Nathan's last movie. Um, uh, what was the name of it? Uh, Gene um, Dillman? Yeah, Gene Dillman. Apparently, he based a lot of... Uh, or he was watching that a lot when he was making Safe. So That's a lot of time. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the why the movie is some, so long. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the idea of a woman going through her life and not... Uh, but uh, Gene Dillman was actually filled with uh, life, he said. But I, I can't comment to that because I didn't see it. But... Anyway, I'm sorry, Dale. Please. No, 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 that's fine. It was just it was a point I wanted to make was about how how distant she is from the viewer. How you how she's she's not the protagonist. She is the subject of the movie, um, mm -hmm. and so you're, it's a very clinical uh, way way of of presenting a, a film or presenting a, a, a an idea. Um, you know, you talked about the the narrative uh, sub subverting narratives, um, but uh, there there's there's missing narrative that's so so strange um, for a movie to not go into, especially a movie of this length, where like her husband is just sort of he he's he he doesn't get it, but he's supportive. The whole way through, they don't have that scene where he's like, this is all in your head or this is a bunch of bullshit. And then they make up at the end or he starts dating another woman or whatever. Or she ends up with some, she ends up with that, that, that guy that wanted to be her Kumbaya. like cooking partner at the end of the movie. Oh, Chris. <laughs> Good old Chris. Good old Chris. <laughs> Uh, so well she has it out with her husband a tiny bit but it's it's not very big it's just that one night where she says she's got a headache and he's getting frustrated with her right for having another headache but i mean but yes once but that, once the doctor i think gets more involved then but that that's he, like a, acting out that's like a any marriage ever conversation right versus based on this particular subject matter it felt like for a while it was going to be something where there's some uh, conflict with her friends about her making this illness up or it being real or not something with the husband. And then by the time she gets to the, the communal living space thing at the end where lo and behold, they actually have the, the like perfect porcelain safe space for her to live in. Um, that that's not like a cult or there's something seedy going on with it. And like you get hints here and there that like the leader of it um, is, is sort of using his position of power in some kind of a way, but not really like there's nothing really there to it. And so the, the storyline never goes in any one kind of a, a, a conflict direction. Um, you mentioned Gene Dillman. This actually is weirdly similar to The Sound of Metal, um, but The Sound of Metal is a much, I think, a much better movie and a more interesting movie because it it takes on all of those different narrative um, conflicts. All of those possible conflicts are represented in some way in that in that story, um, but in this story, it's very much like. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and now this movie's over. Um, and there's no real, like, you know, uh, it, there's also nothing that at the end that's like, you know, uh, if you know someone who's having trouble, you know, seek out this hotline or 
Um, here's more information on all of this stuff. But what does happen is the credits start and it's page after page of credits of actual uh, people who were used who 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 were um, advisors to the film on these types of situations. Mm. So like they didn't pull all this stuff out of their ass. They they talk to people who believe in the kinds of th- the kinds of therapies that she was taking, the kinds of ailments that she was suffering from, the things that were going on in the movie itself. And apparently because um, this was one of the few ways that people were uh, treating and dealing with AIDS um, at this point in time, that this whole process that she ended up in this whole sort of um uh community that she ends up in was very much a real thing and very and and a celebrated thing and something that people are are very thankful for in hindsight because they took aid seriously and tried to help those people when there was not you know like we talked about a little bit earlier but there there weren't doctors to there weren't doctors and there weren't medications from regular science, regular medicine. And so all of these um, new age medicines were, were the way that people would go, the homeopathy uh, thing. I kind of wondered if there was a connection to AIDS with that lesion on her face. Cause it looked like a AIDS lesion. Well, one of the characters I don't know if that was intentional. They, there's some talk about AIDS. I mean, there's a, there's a character that talks about how I don't remember if it's the leader or the founder or somebody. I think the leader supposedly has AIDS as well as everything else that's going on. Um, They don't call it that though. Right. It was just, it was just called like an immune. They call it AIDS. Okay. They they say say AIDS. AIDS. I mean, by 87, they knew what AIDS was barely and they didn't know what to do about it, but they knew that's what they were calling it in 87. So, and, you know, having whatever it is that she has be kind of lumped in with these other immune, autoimmune issues kind of makes sense. Um, But I guess before we go all the way through and into the movie, um, we have to ask, what the hell, Brooke? Uh, I was going to select Swallow from last year, I think it came out. Has anybody seen Swallow? Yeah. Okay. Well, it. I watched that, and I thought, well, that would be a pretty good one. But then, as I was awaiting my chance to to say what I had chosen, I was thinking about how similar these two, those two films were, Swallow and Safe, and I opted to go uh, with Safe. I thought it was a timely movie. I had seen it when it first came out, uh, but I thought, well, this feels kind of appropriate for current situation. There's so much obviously going on right now paranoia and illness and paranoia about illness it's just such a big part of our current culture because we're living in a pandemic uh so that was kind of my reasoning um and i hadn't seen it like i said since it came out in what 95 i believe is when it came out um so i i wanted to watch it again because in my mind it was so similar to kind of the current situation um or at least reflections of current situations so um, i thought it held up in fact i liked it more this time than i did first time around i think there was a lot about it that i didn't quite get because that was you know a long time ago i was a lot younger then um (laughs) but i i could appreciate certain things about it i didn't like the ambiguity and i can't say it but you know what i mean (laughs) of it then and i appreciated that so much more now i like that there is no real clear answer as to what's going on is it in her head how much is psychosomatic how much is real Um, also interesting to explore how illness sometimes can become an identity somebody like her she was so void of any personality she was just so she didn't have purpose she was so flat such a flat character and that gave her gave her an identity Um, so I thought that was interesting to explore uh, as to the question, was she sick? Was she not? I don't. I don't know. I don't. I didn't leave with any real 
thought as to whether or not she's she's really sick or not. Um, I like that it feels kind of like a horror movie in a way. It doesn't start out that mm-hmm. way, but as it goes, it gets that horror movie kind of feel to it. Um, it is slow burn or a slog, as, as Zach <laughs> referred to it. I agree. It does slog a bit, uh, but I, I liked that. I thought it felt really insidious and kind of suspenseful and intense at times. Um, there, it's just, it's a lot of movie in one. And I appreciate yeah, it's, that. Yeah, I, it's just such an odd thing to, like, it's it's literally exploring something that it's not going to give you any answers to. Um, it, it just eschews all conflict from the situation. And then it's not, it's not like it's an allegory for something. It's not, it, it, this, it doesn't symbolize anything. So it's not like about how, um, you know, how it, it, it's not, it's not a way to, to deal with the dynamic of um, medicine versus homeopathy or uh, like what insurance covers and what it doesn't. It's like everything that she decides that she needs as she decides that she needs it, she gets, she gets it pretty easily. And for the most part, it just works for her and, and things are just fine. And it seems like at the end that is like, as long as she just lives the rest of her life in the, the porcelain room for most of the time that she'll be, she'll be fine. But we don't have any kind of an indication as to how her husband feels about that. Um, We don't kind of get any indication of how she feels about that. It's just sort of a, it's just kind of a big blank. Well, I kind of feel like, you know, actually that might be on purpose and, the claustrophobia that kind of comes from that because you can't blame her stress or her situation on anything, but the health problem. Absolutely. I think it's, that's kind of the, that's the way it's the movie's directing you to, to kind of focus on that. Yeah. I think it's completely intentional. And so it's such a weird, it's such a weird movie experience because it's two hours of this is literally what is happening. Which is which is not to say that that's a bad idea or a bad idea for a movie, but it's so disconnected from what we expect in art. Like, there's no real there, there's no real room to interpret or or read into what's happening here. It's what we are presented with is is the facts of the movie, and and that is it, and it it's over it's like a it's like a documentary made by someone who had absolutely no vested stake in julianne moore's character just following her around and and that's that's a that's what we witness well everything is cold and flat their personalities are flat their home is flat everything is basically soulless and hollow it's just yeah, I and I know. like I thought it was kind of going somewhere with the idea of like she describes herself early on in the movie as as like her her job, which can also be read as her identity, is that she's a homemaker. Like she's not a housewife. They have like they have money for servants and and you know whatever else they need. But her like whole purpose in life is decorating the space that they live in. And it's the decorating of the space that they live in that creates this, you know, sort of first uh, first kind of brush with, you know, oh, well, it wasn't the, the color of the couch that was the problem. It's the couch that's the problem. And I'm allergic to it and... That sort of thing. 
<laughs> so um, I felt I felt like it was kind of that was kind of the start of it going somewhere of like having something to say about um, you need a purpose in life, like you need you need to feel um, needed and and uh, driven and and participating in what's going on. And so I felt like, you know, at the end she would like, she would have her community and she would have her place in the community and she would be contributing to that community. And I suppose in a way she does, like she goes to group therapy sessions and they all talk and clap for each other. But it seems like a really weird, like, not necessarily lateral step, but a very small step to go from my life is based around choosing furniture for my house to my life is based around not dying from potentially non-existent things. Well, and that's where I go into the, when you feel like you don't have a purpose, something like being sick becomes the purpose, you know? Um, and yeah. you look at the time frame, the late eighties, 1987, it's, it's dead on. That was, that was when it became an identity to be, to say you were a housewife and the fruit diet is so dead on. I remember every woman in the eighties doing some weird grapefruit diet and things like that. And it just became a way to try to find a, a community or a sense of belonging. Oh, this, everybody's doing this. So I'm going to do this too. And I don't know. I just, I really, I, I felt that it was just, everything was so flat and cold and that's where I get into, you know, she she sort of found her belonging at the community, but more than anything, I think she just found um, that she could get rooted in in being a sick person. That was her root. Yeah. Yeah. Because she had nothing else. Yeah, and you and mentioned, I, well, I don't think her husband cared, and I don't think she did either. You mentioned that earlier. You said it yeah. didn't show how he felt. I mean, there's no feeling among any well it's important that he doesn't because there if there's conflict there then then there's a conflict that's outside of the scope of what the movie's trying to say right i I almost kind of wonder if maybe we're missing the more general point that the the filmmakers were trying to make which was you know because we talked about the last line she says and help me help me remember what it was but it was something she like, was something she was supposed to say like, I'm into the mirror I'm good to myself or something like that i love myself i care about my i really love you kind of thing in the so, mirror i mean maybe what the movie is trying to say is that you know it's real easy in our society with all the layers that we kind of place us on top of ourselves whether it be the friends we surround ourselves with the home we put layers and layers and layers of things on top of that. We get all so obsessed with that. We kind of lose ourselves in the mix. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe what they're saying is that ultimately she needed to find her own core character again, because it'd been lost in the shuffle. And so that was kind of like the payoff at the end to say that, okay, she's turned a new relief. Yeah. Well, and even the payoff is, is a, is a weak non, um, it, it, it's not a, uh, a a definitive progress. Like she can't say it; she's struggling to say it, and she's not really getting emotional about it. She's just literally unable to really do it. And so that's like as close as we get to seeing her. And it's sort of like it, it, it's almost like we're looking in the mirror at that point. Is kind of I, the way I understand the filmmaking to try and be is that that's the one time that she's close and she's saying directly like, "I, I love you, I, I, I love you," but it's not like there's no confidence in it. There's no, uh, you know, and, and and maybe that's just you know, if if this movie is a is a twelve step program, maybe she's on step two. And and that's that's all we've got. You know, it took her two hours um, to get there in screen time, but that that's all there is. And I I, I think that's fine. Um, it it it's not a recipe for very a very entertaining film. So what you're saying <laughs> is that humans are like onions. We all have layers, and we got to find the center of the onion. <laughs> oh, cake has layers. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is more like uh, more like an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> I, I was kind of going with like a crepe. <laughs> An ice cream sandwich so, with a little bit of asbestos in the middle. Huh? <laughs> deep, deep down, I'm Nutella. <laughs> well, I think we've we, we've bored ourselves enough. <laughs> I didn't say I picked Try. it because it was exciting. No, no, sure. no. no I'm, sure. I'm saying I think I think we've discussed this into the ground um, uh. at this point. So. Um, yeah, uh, Zach, it is your turn to choose a movie. What would you like for us to watch next time? I would like for us to watch the spy thriller Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Yeah. <laughs> thriller. thriller. Tinker Taylor Soldier it's just, Spy. It's on repeat. Tinker Taylor thriller. Soldier Spy. Okay. 2011, I believe. Yeah. Okay, that sounds great. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in for Safe. Thanks everybody here for discussing it with us um we will see you on the next episode of the deeply discussing movie podcast